0: Hello.
1: Hello, Ife. How are you?
0: I'm fine, thank you. Good evening. How are you?
1: Good. I'm, I'm doing better. So I'm happy I can talk, finally. Hello yeah. to our listeners as well, wherever they are.
0: Yeah, hi. And welcome to African Joe Paddy.
1: Yes, we're finally doing it. Yay! <laughs> I think it's been like two months that we're, we're talking about this um, and uh, we're finally having the chance to do it. So I just would like to remind our listeners that you're in the UK um, and I am in Canada, in Vancouver, in Western Canada. So it's fairly difficult to find a time and a chance to do this.
0: Yes, it is. And I'm also quite excited that we have finally <laughs> found the time to actually give it a go.
1: Finally, yes. So let's introduce ourselves maybe to, the, to our listeners. So um, I am Abel Belhabib, and I am a principal investigator at Ecotrust Canada. So I work on, um, on political ecology generally, on fisheries, and on, on crime, and I specialized in, um, on the African continent.
0: And my name is um Ifesina T. For Yawood. I have recently joined um, Stable Seas, um, part of the One Ed Future, as a researcher for Western Central Africa, and my research interest lies in understanding the interconnectedness or relationship.
1: So you're cutting out, Ife, something that we expect to happen because of where we are and how we connect. And hopefully I'll get you back very soon. I'm here. Great. Sorry. Great.
0: Great. Okay. So, so I yeah. wonder if the part about, about me was, was recorded Okay.
1: Um, well, it's, it's uh, been cutting a little bit. So um, you were mm-hmm. explaining how you were working on the interconnectedness and then it broke there.
0: Oh, Okay, so Same my research in tra- interest lies in understanding the interconnectedness between maritime security issues, primarily understanding how maritime insecurity affects human, national and regional security of countries in, in Western Central Africa especially.
1: That's amazing. And you're from Nigeria originally. I'm from Algeria originally. And you're a woman. Oh yes. <laughs> Your voice it's important it's important to say. Like this might appear weird, but it's important to say because some people <laughs> might think you have like a strong voice and uh Does this often happen? Like people mistake you for a man?
0: Oh my god, yes, yes. And and <laughs> and it happens so often that sometimes I just decide to play along. But you do has, I mean yeah i i I just enjoy playing around i I pick up the phone and say hello and then they say oh is that mr yao then i just i get tired (laughs) of explaining that i say oh yes it is but interestingly this also happened
1: oh shoot you're cutting out again like this is this is really funny um
0: Oh can is, you hear me now?
1: Yes I can hear you now but how how is it now more difficult that your doctor Yarwood basically because it doesn't yes. actually have a gender?
0: Yes so it happened two days ago when I had to call the medical helpline because um I my because of my son or for my son so when they asked for my name after like 3 minutes conversation I said um Dr Yawood. and this was a lady And then her response was, oh, thank you so much, sir. So what's your son's name? I've been speaking to her for like three minutes. And after I told her that I am Dr. Kafia, which she responded by saying, thank you, sir. So I'm not really sure why she assumed that I was a sir, even though I've had three minutes conversation telling how about my son and how I am concerned about that? So yeah. I'm... Well, a
1: dad is also concerned, if That he... <laughs> can also be concerned. But... I know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Now, now that would be a stereotype to say only moms are concerned about their kids.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. no absolutely. But
1: point taken. Point taken. Yeah. Like that. That's very. Like, I mean, it happened. It happened to me too. After a year. Um. So you know, like when we work with some African colleagues, we often, especially in countries where internet bandwidth is not that good, um, we often work just via email, so no phone, no Skype calls, nothing. Um, And I worked with this, um, he's now a very good friend of mine, um, an amazing researcher in Guinea. And we worked together for a year on a report um, on Guinea, basically, and I remember then I went to West Africa and I was traveling with a colleague of mine, like a very tall and strong guy um, who was the coordinator of the project. Um, and we ended up in Guinea, you know, like after finally getting to the center of research, I was right next to him. And then um, the guy, my colleague in Guinea introduced, I like, introduced himself, and go shakes the hand other another Canadian, uh, Caucasian, tall guy colleague and tells him, hello, Dia, how are you? And I, you know, I was so shocked because... I, this this might have been like the stereotype where you're communicating mm-hmm. with someone on fisheries in Africa that guy that that person must be a man of you know some sort and my name you know doesn't really say if I'm a man or a woman that that's something but um it was really funny because like no no it's me the little next to him it's me this is you so such a funny situation but that happens like the um the other as well when you go to conferences and you know they mistake you for some some and coffee in the like very uh coffee and look at you basically okay i'm here for the conference too uh, did that have, have, ever happen to you you're kidding again ife
0: no, oh, I said um, um, it hasn't happened to me but I, and I hope it doesn't because I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about it.
1: Well I, I, I had a good laugh about it but like in, in conferences I mean like in conferences it's it's not very funny when it happens um,
0: I can imagine. because, you know
1: like especially when you when you're introduced like you, you have colleagues all introduced to like doctor and doctor and doctor and when it suits misses. Oh no
0: okay. You know,
1: when, you know, it might sound like a feminist or something like an extremist, you know, like kind, those no. kind of feminists, not like the feminist that I am. But I have understood this thing. I, I could never understand it. Why we have to be referred to by our marital marital status, Mrs. or Miss, while for a man, it's just Mr.
0: Yeah, I guess this is uh, just one of the questions that one might never be able to respond to I mean it's it's gonna I mean it's gonna take forever to actually find the right answers to that
1: yeah but there is there is like it just feels that there is a lot of gender discrimination out there I mean I think I think we're, we addressed this like a few days ago when we were talking about publications
0: oh yeah yeah. I mean, uh, there is definitely a lot of um, gender discrimination out there. And it even gets worse when you happen to them be a woman, a woman of color and and, and not the, the typical representation of what a woman should look like, especially living in this part of the world. I mean, I'm talking from my personal experience now. So Same here. It, Same here. It's it, it, <laughs> it, yeah, more difficult for me as a person of color to sort of get certain entitlement or, or be respected in some way that a woman that is Caucasian is treated. And, and, and that, is, that, that can be quite frustrating, but I, yeah. I'm, I guess I'm just happy to live in a world where people are willing to listen more and to understand that there is implication for their actions and, and hopefully being open to changing some of their biases.
1: Well, yeah, especially that even Caucasian women undergo some discrimination as well. I mean, it's just like it's another level. I remember um, one uh, professor once told me, and unfortunately, and this is very sad and, and very frustrating, it makes me really angry, but he told me, I am a woman of, from a visible minority, the, a Muslim, I have to work four mm-hmm. times as hard to get what what other people get. Wow. And I get, you know, like the number of rejections I get on every single aspect is is amazing. You know, like I think I get ten rejections per, or maybe even more per, I don't know the statistic, but I get a lot of rejections.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, well, it's um, something that we well, have to deal I with, mean, unfortunately.
0: Yes. Well, deal with, but 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 rise above. The most important thing is not allow it to define us, because I mean it would obviously be very defeating, especially in someone like me that knows you and and how amazing you are to hear that because of some of the rejections you have decided to pack it all in. So the most important thing, I guess, for our listeners out there, the women, whether you're red, white, black, whatever your color, and even to the men as well. I mean, to be able to sort of manage rejection and never, I mean, never, ever, never, ever give up. So long as you leave, just keep going, keep rising above it and, and keep pushing. One day something is going to happen.
1: Yeah. You know what scares me the most is, is, being, is perpetuating that rejection, which often happens, like with the frustrations that build up, you know, yeah. like even I, n- now I own it yes i am a visible minority i wear the hijab and i'm a muslim and i own it if it bothers well too bad i'm still going to be here i'm not going anywhere this is exactly how i think and i like when i get a journal rejection for instance like well next journal you know like i don't even i don't even beat myself up on it you know like when i get rejection applications well next application this is exactly how well i mean it's sad But I just hope that I would never perpetuate this by when I'm in a a position of power, basically perpetuate the same thing because I I, I lived it. So I really, really, that scares me. So as opposed to just thinking of myself as, oh, no, too bad. I'm a minority. I'm like, I'm owning it. I am a minority. I'm here to bother. And I hope I'm bothering enough. That's how I think
0: yeah well i i i (laughs) that is actually the spirit and i hope i i I grew up enough to have the same sort of um way of managing my own anxieties i i have Oh, are you still there yeah
1: Yeah. well you will find a way not only you will find a way to manage your anxieties i think you'll become numb to it hopefully it <laughs> won't arrive that much obviously like that's I, hopefully it won't you will never be numb to it because it won't happen that much <laughs> but but if that happens i think you will get just numb to it. it's like oh whatever let's move on to the next thing basically yeah
0: <laughs> yeah okay, okay. You know, well but I'm I'm, I'm I'm i guess i have to say at this point that i'm privileged to know someone like yourself who who has been um someone i've admired from afar and then after i was introduced um to you by katie who by the way was also the person that sort of gave us the idea for this so this is a quick shout out to you katie by the sea on twitter uh, <laughs> thank and, you and katie
1: <laughs> yeah
0: uh, and so i i have learned a lot from you here and and have continued to learn a lot from you so thank you continue to inspire and do your thing
1: you're an amazing person i'm 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 learning so much from you as well especially from the uh, political perspective Um, (laughs) yeah it's it's really like you know working i think working in the fisheries field and ocean field and security field in general is like we are we are we have to work with a lot of you know male driven agendas basically and it's not always easy um either at work or when we submit to journals you know like I was I think I think we've we've talked about the fact that we're women, but also now women from outside the academic world when we try yeah. to publish, for instance. Um, and I think something is that's another layer of discrimination, basically. And it happens. I don't know if there are statistics out there, but maybe someone should do it um, where we see the level of acceptance based on based on the um the organization you work for and i think that there is it's more difficult to publish first when you have a weird name um you know like we both do <laughs> it's like non-western <laughs> typical name and even in algeria my name is weird so that do- okay. doesn't help um we're women and we're working for ngos now yeah yeah
0: and, and but, but but that's the thing. It shouldn't happen that way, because obviously the, the work that academics do is completely amazing. But at the same time, the work that those in, in the thought sector do in driving policies is, is actually very, very amazing and very important. I, I would tell you, I mean, one of the something happened that actually made me reflect my position and whether, I mean, what I want to do, whether I want to continue in academia, which I'm, I'm definitely, this is something that I know it's, I'm it's likely to go back to at some point, but I was, I got to a point where I was considering whether I should remain in academia or whether I should work in the tech sector. And this thing that happened was, I came to, I found myself in an environment where they were discussing issues relating to I mean, very important maritime security issues in the global south. And if if I, I mean, I could easily say that there were over 100 people in the room, but I could count the number of Africans. And in the end, there were only two black African women in this room discussing issues relating to maritime security issues in including the African.
1: Including
0: yourself? Yes, including myself. I mean, oh my as the are second black woman there and the other black woman or the African black African that was there was actually someone that is affiliated to the organization that was holding the conference or where the conference was being held and so at that point I said to myself hang on a minute this is actually why in 2019 decisions about the continent decisions that that undermine or affect or improve the security uh, socioeconomic provisions of, of of millions of people in the african continent are made by people that have not or barely lived that situation
1: and yeah, that was they, the point. They don't even understand it they don't even understand the situation they may not even understand it basically it's uh, especially when they make blanket rules you know no exceptions no exemptions because everybody just has to abide about- international laws and things like that
0: absolutely and, and this was the point that i said you know what, I think I, wanna, I want to represent that voice. I don't know how big it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to make any difference. But I want to be that African that is in the room, that gives someone a chance to actually understand the perspective of the people they are reflecting or discussing or trying to make a decision about. And I think this is why it is important that actually, when it comes to publications in, in peer-reviewed journals, they should be open-minded people should oh, not yeah. rep- well,
1: that's, they should there is no reason why one should justify the obligation of being open minded they have to be open minded because researchers are researchers everywhere but uh, your story just reminded me of like i was i was um recently in geneva and i think last year i went to a, a workshop in dc about um, Uh, what is it called like boundary spanning in policy engagement and it really hit me that what we are willing to accept here in the west is is sometimes excluding a lot of the things that we do for instance i was once that african child even though i'm not you know like the stereotype black african child who carries water for a kilometer in in during a drought but i was once that child you know, walking bare feet with bucks of water in my hands, going to, to grab the water. And I was happy doing that. I was genuinely happy. I loved it. You know, I was not like, oh, the poor one. Like, I was genuinely happy. And this is seen, like, portraying me as a victim is not acceptable. Like, as a, when I was a child, like, if if I could think about it now, like, if I could, in perspective, like, that's not acceptable. That's just, like, a perception from the West. We also talked about, like, Um, accepting things for instance that the church leads research somewhere in a country where 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 like the country has basically any means to do any research work and you have the church with means and so they lead the research without necessarily influencing it and you have like someone from and this happened truly like someone from a western country coming in and refusing to work with the researchers there because they were funded by the church and it's also some kind of stereotypes that often happen you know like we have to be um, boundary spanners in that sometimes the standards that we work with here might not be the same where we, we are going to work in Africa or elsewhere in the developing world, basically. And I was recently in Geneva, as I was mentioning, and it really hit me because um, we had a conversation about subsidies and, and you know, the, the impact of and it. was It's really great work that we're doing um, with IASD and with Pew because the idea is to research the potential impact of subsidy disciplines on, on some countries' like South America, Pacific Islands, and in Africa, and basically rem- remind the delegates who are also negotiating about the livelihoods of people, you know, people that need those options to live. Otherwise, they have no other alternative livelihood options except maybe uh, having to, you know, um, deal with petty crime and things like that. And we see this in research, obviously, but it hit me because I was in a room with there were like some, you know, minority representations there obviously there were like some delegates from all over the place but after like it just hit me that we are talking and we are negotiating some blanket rules and we're not necessarily aware as delegates or these delegates are not necessarily aware of how this could impact that poor Indian fisher whose whole life has been about catching three fish a day to feed his family And being able to do so because of a subsidy that the government gives him or her. And I think you're cutting there again, like maybe you're talking, I can't hear you. But basically, um, after the workshop... People, some some delegates came to see me and they were like, we really appreciate the work that you're doing. We're here to think about the small scale fishermen, the small scale fish harvesters um, and not to victimize them because of all these blanket rules that we're, we're, we're negotiating. Basically, when it comes to subsidies and other types of rules, obviously, that are made internationally.
0: But I hear you loud and clear and I hear you loud and clear. And, and this is obviously why it is important to, when you're discussing such an important issue, to actually have people that are likely to be affected by your decision in the room and, and give them a voice and give them a choice to be heard. And and I'm so happy and, and, and privileged that we are in this space. And I guess I, I have to also be thankful for the internet because it has given an, a lot of opportunity for people that would not to sort of and, and get heard. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely very important.
1: Yeah, it's always like it reminds me like it's not necessarily related to gender but I've been working on the issue of ITQs you know, individual transferable quotas for the past um, three years. Okay. Uh, and you know, like we are taught in universities, uh, in fisheries economics that ITQs are the perfect tool. You know, catchers are individual transferable quotas are the perfect tool for managing fisheries um and it's something that is perpetuated obviously because we see the success in them we don't necessarily see the failures um and as i started working on western canadian fisheries i realized that no that's actually not my own definition of success like um they this is a blanket rule where Uh you know like if you put a fishery if you manage a fishery with an itq with an individual transferable quota so each fisher fish harvester receives receive quota, basically based on um, what they have caught in the past. Um, and then those become transferable. associated with an amount of money, the price inflates and systematically excludes like the young fisher fishers that want to join the fishery or even worse you know like you sell it to investors because there are no ownership limits you sell it to money gamblers to money launderers and it gains like uh, and since the transactions don't necessarily are not necessarily kept in record it becomes more and more prone to money laundering for instance because you want to lender money the best way is to buy some halibut quota for example Basically, this actually happens here. And then you have on the other side, real fishermen that are like the stewards of the sea that go there, that know what sustainability is about, that use very selective gears that want to fish, that go out, that fish that have to lease the quota for 90% of their of their revenues. And then the 10% that they, so they lease the quota, they pay 90% of the landed value in that quota. And then the rest, um, they have to pay their crew, they have to repair the boats and they have to like pay for fuel and all of that. And it's just ridiculous because... We see it from an academic perspective as a perfect tool, but we often forget about the social justice component of it. And you know, like, how is it that um, owners of quota and owners of licenses that might be corporations from elsewhere sit at the same table than the government when managing the fisheries and this is exactly how it's done here so this is another example of a blanket rule that actually harms small-scale communities and marginal, marginalizes them basically how, how do we even say that puts them on the margins of management and fisheries and natural resources access basically so they lose agency over this and that's and that's how that's how basically creates some forms of criminal behaviors or that's how it criminalizes fishermen when they work within what they're within the the, the basically if you will the vicinity of that what they've used to be doing in the past and then the system comes in and criminalizes them for what they were doing in the past you know And, and it's something that happens some of them in other parts of the world Um, become petty criminals like we've just we're just writing a paper about the contribution of uh, the fishing sector to illicit drug trade globally and the results are really stunning on how conservation has excluded or has forced or has coerced some fish harvesters and fishing communities to be involved in the illicit drug trade in the long term because of the poverty that it creates, like this some kind of non-participatory, non-participatory conservation, even like ecotourism projects and things like that. In, For instance, Colombia.
0: I, I, I mean, your point about Colombia is actually very important. And you find that this can easily be replicated in, in a lot of developing countries because of the fact that they do not enjoy the same benefit as their counterparts in developed countries, whereby, for example, if they're not catching enough or if they were not um, sort of able to, to sub- support their family as much as they used to, there is sort of some sort of social security that they can tap into, which is not available to countries in, in the global south. And so you could see why. Lack of or inadequate coastal welfare or support for for fisher folks and fishmongers in, in many countries that are predominantly women can actually drive people to criminal activities and and again I, I cannot emphasize enough why this keeps bringing me back to bringing people that are affected by decisions of of policymakers of of those in I mean in in, in places of authority bringing those that are likely to be affected by those decisions in the round table and actually listening to them. is not just enough to bring them for the sake of it, listening to them and understanding how those policy decisions are likely to affect them. Otherwise, what you end up doing is perpetuating the cycle of insecurity. That thing you're trying to prevent you end up you go shell because we keep losing each other. It is it is very important to to sort of reflect on how our our actions and our decisions are affecting the, the the end users. And I'm so happy and and privileged to be in a position to to somehow I mean use my research to shine a light on some of the uh, socioeconomic. I mean, socioeconomic so, so implications also security implications of, of some of the decisions or actions of, of countries in the global north, in particular. And of course, the, the inadequacies of, of countries in, in, in the global south, such as those in, in, in the African continent.
1: Yeah, security yeah. implications. I mean, like, yes, yeah, social economic implications, but also security implications are very, very important because at the end of the day, these people end up criminalized. And victimized at the same time. Like the, when we talk about drug trafficking, for instance, or even piracy. Um, and and the pi- piracy now is quite important in the Gulf of Guinea. I think like it's the first. Um, it's the most where well, basically it's the area of the world where it's most well, prevalent well, right now. Right. Yeah. 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 Yes. And that's for a reason. It didn't just start like that. You know, there's always an underlying reason behind it. And the underlying reason is, for instance, oil companies or, uh, you know, like um, uh, the industries, like the large corporate industries that exist over there, whether fisheries and otherwise. But also in terms of drug trafficking, I mean, like fishermen becoming drug mules and then being caught um, by the Navy, Coast Guards, etc., cetera, and, and thrown in prisons where the actual, you know, drug lor- lords are free and have amazing diversion strategies where they can just like change the route you know call somebody else and change the route it's quite amazing to me because this is even even the enforcement strategies that are used are completely failing what they should be tackling basically
0: Uh, yeah so i i was agreeing with you and and i think obviously that we have sort of done a great job of of giving the, the the listeners um an insight into what they can expect from us i hope Have we even done that? (laughs) Yeah. uh... So I I hope we've done enough of that anyways of giving them insight of what they can expect from us.
1: Yeah, I just want to circle back a little bit to uh women, being women. And you know, I'd like to do some fun exercise here of like what you heard, like the ridiculous things that you heard as a woman, like in the work, professional, academic, uh conference circles, like with Professionals around you, basically. Have you ever heard something that just shocked you, being a woman, that you were told? I have a few quotes okay. here that I, I've heard, but I would really like to to hear, like from from you, like if you've heard things through, because you were a woman or because you were of color. Um, you know, I I, I, you think
0: not, I think it's not necessarily about what I've heard, but how people have reacted or select few have reacted when I said. Um, um i was doing a phd or that i was studying at king's college london the look it's either
1: <laughs> that, that like, i would love to i would have loved to see that
0: yeah i know and 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 then sometimes i just say oh yeah yeah like humbly or sheepishly just sort of go low just to to please them Oh, I say, yeah, yeah, yes. I don't even sort of engage further, and so I haven't heard anything in particular. But, but the looks—I wish I had taken a picture. And, but I at get the same
1: time, too. you know, I get things like, "Do you speak English?" Okay. Welcome <laughs> to Canada. You know, things, <laughs> things like that. I had actually one lady like look at me like with a huge smile once, and uh, when I finally got like in front of her, she was like, "Welcome to Canada." How is, you know, like, and she was talking, she started talking about Syria, and I was like, I'm not a Syrian refugee, but I, I thank you, thank oh. you very much, I've been here for 10 years, but thank you so much, oh, you know.
0: No. Okay. Yeah.
1: Or, or like, <laughs> do you speak English, you know, like, are you here, or yeah. are you here, in- things, like, these stereotyping things occur, but, like, in uh, a professional set, it obviously occurs less like that, and more... Um, I hear things like you know I, I even wrote a blog post about this once like um, you know things that boobs are symmetrical and you oh. know in, yeah that like or um... other sorry
0: that is out of order
1: well yeah like or or moms in science are not perceived seriously um, you know. It's like, or or we should write a paper together. Let's meet at my hotel room, and you know we can be friends and more. This is at a conference that has happened, basically. <laughs> okay. You know, yeah, you're not fit to be a scientist. You should work for an NGO because this is actually I was told this by wow. a professor. Not fit to be a scientist. You should you should work for an NGO because obviously NGOs don't, don't have good scientists. You know, obviously, and they have to be women. You know, because they're not good scientists. But I heard this as well.
0: Oh gosh, I hope I, I I hope I don't experience that. But when I do, I mean, is um, thank you so much for sharing this. When I do, I, I know not to take it, uh, sort of, too hard because I'm I'm quite I'm
1: not. Com- you're cutting again, um. But just like on the taking it too hard, you should definitely take it hard, and that person should know that you're taking it hard because how. Otherwise, you know, like we shouldn't manage their emotions while they make such statements. Like there are, we all have biases somehow, somewhere. Um, there's actually psychological studies that point that we do have biases within us. And that's that's inherent. But acting upon those biases is a different thing. And also, you know, saying things, disrespectful things to a woman, in, especially in a professional setting, uh, when we're all, you know, researchers, academics or not, you um, it's not acceptable, so you should take it the hard way. And the person that just said it should understand that it's not appropriate, basically. So no, I think that and and oftentimes it's just that, no. What you just said is absolutely not appropriate and not acceptable.
0: He, he, actually, it's very important that you said that. But I, I am I. Yeah, I know this is probably something I need to unlearn when because I've had a lot of experience of when I'm trying to actually enthusiastically argue my position or or justify my position or or explain myself. I can't even count the number of times people have said to me, of course, people that are not of the same culture as me, you're shouting that one of the reasons why I I, I have become reticent to sort of reacting to certain things is that. I have had I mean I can't even count anymore when when I'm trying to passionately argue my position or explain my case people that are usually not of the same culture as me will either say things like why are you shouting you are becoming aggressive when I'm trying to actually explain and and then I have to say I'm sorry but this is why this is how I talk And someone that that understands how Nigerians talk would know that actually I am being quite mellow in the way I'm speaking, you know. And so since then, I try actually to avoid confrontation. And sometimes I just say, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah.
1: That's not fair though, because uh, that person is going to perpetuate what they're doing. That's how I I think, because... Yeah, Maybe they should be shouted at, you know, like maybe that's what they deserve at <laughs> the first place. Um, not necessarily when you have in like, you know, a discussion about things, but, uh, you know, I don't like being dismissed, um, especially like man- mansplaining also happens a lot. You know, like a colleague recently was talking to who who, who visited um, West Africa once in his life, not only was like visited two countries of West Africa once in his life, started, started mansplaining me about some of the numbers that I published myself. Um, you know and and i i was not very comfortable with that and he was very dismissive so i had to shout my way in you know and he had to understand that no it's not by raising his manly voice that he's going to win the argument basically it doesn't happen that way and it should never happen that way and you know but i i do in certain situations feel that um you should make your point regardless of how they feel if if they're being dismissive or if they're being disrespectful they should know that they are being disrespectful and you have the right to defend yourself based on that so that that behavior is not perpetuated with other women and other people women or not basically other minorities
0: you know yeah well i i still have to unlearn that that have really put me off standing my ground because and then i have to explain myself then i have to start explaining myself to to say i'm not shouting i'm 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 just trying to explain myself and and it really makes me feel quite bad and and so yeah but i agree with you i i don't have to nobody actually have to have to stand for, for such abuse in, in 2019 especially
1: oh yeah like i mean i heard things like remove your actually very frequently i hear i hear this like remove your headscarf you will get a job more easily
0: Oh okay. You know,
1: yeah, I I heard this very recently and I heard it again like uh, like I I hear it quite frequently and I mean like am I just going to smile and say nothing to that even though even though sometimes it comes from like really that's the worst part sometimes it comes from like really people who care. You know they genuinely care. Maybe it's your headscarf that's bothering, maybe you should remove it to get the job or something but you know in in a perfect world this should not be said. It should not even exist you know like, i i i could be wearing i don't know like uh, a pumpkin on my head and nobody would care you know well maybe they would but you know what i mean um, yeah and in this th- these cases it just feels that i should not just let it go you know I, I can't just let it go anymore like i thought so i mean like you and i understand this like we and and we fought so hard in our respective countries like we still have a, our accents by the way i hope our our audience can understand what we're saying uh we still have our <laughs> accents um we we still have like that little culture cultural cultural thing you know i, I walk with I, I talk with with gestures so i use my hands a lot like an italian yeah um, and people often say why why are you angry or why you know and to you they say why why are you shouting maybe but like it's this cultural disparity is beautiful as opposed to like challenging should be beautiful as opposed to challenging. but beyond that like being women and from visible minorities in the western world is not always something that that's easy to handle and i hope that people understand that um and maybe just think like we're all again like it's it's i would say it's okay to have biases as long as we don't act upon them and we and we try to learn about them a little more and address them we all have biases in in minds like we all do some things we can't be you know all accepting all the time because there are just certain things that we don't know and as we learn to as we learn those things we might have previously biases that we needed to address that's what I that's how i think but Nevertheless, I mean, it's 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 kind of difficult. It's very difficult.
0: Yeah, so it has been uh, so far. I have actually learned a lot from this conversation and I hope our, our listeners have as well and, and obviously would be able to sort of give us feedback on, on what we're doing right, how we can improve and how we can make it more exciting because, I mean, uh, the most important thing for us is not only to share what we know about um, socioeconomic conditions or security conditions of, I mean, everything that's happening in the African continent, but we, we don't want to make it boring. We want to make it fun. We want to talk about so many things, and, and but while making it fun at the same time. So we would appreciate whatever feedback you can bring and, and whatever comments through the doors.
1: Yeah, and hopefully, like, the technical issues that we experience. experience. Anyways, like, this, actually, the technical issues are a beautiful thing because we experience them so much working on, I, I, at least, personally, experienced them so much when working with colleagues in, in Africa, basically, like, uh, let alone the, you know, the difference in time. Like, recently, I came back from, where was I? In Algeria, um, and I was pretty much looking forward to talk with colleagues in Tanzania there because it was way easier for me than I came back and the same night when I came back, I had to speak to them at midnight here in Vancouver. Yeah. And obviously, so I guess it's, um, it's a, so even if we can't trim this, sorry to our audience, this is things that we have to deal with quite frequently. Um, and I guess you too, uh, yeah. working on, you know, time zones and technology and all of that. So we'll see how this goes. But yeah, very, very happy to finally have had this first podcast with you, Ife. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and again, like um, name wise, how do you say your last name, Okafor Yaru? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I, I so I have. I'm, I'm kind of. My name is kind of schizophrenic a little bit. So I'm I'm Dihia sometimes, and I'm just Dia at UBC and like university uh, at other times. But i my name is pronounced Dihia. Okay. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm often called Dia, um, especially ABC. I'm actually quite
0: happy to be called Ife rather than oh. Ife Sinati, so I'm cool to be called Ife.
1: Yeah, yeah I like Ife.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, so let's uh, let's wrap it up here, um, and hopefully, we can address the technical difficulties that we've had by trimming this. And if we can't, we apologize to our beloved audience. Um, you know, I would love to say we're going to handle it next time, but I i can't even promise that, you know, we never know. Um, yeah. We never know. But yeah, we'll try. We'll try, quite frankly. We'll try. Um, very happy. And we're going to do this uh, once a month for now, I guess, Ife? Yes. And uh, we're going to share this on Twitter, obviously, for our Twitter buddies. And please share it um uh, as in, if you love it, share it. If you don't love it, still share it to make other yeah. people laugh a little bit. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I'm, I, I mean, be kind. Be kind with your criticism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Be kind. Yeah, be
1: kind with your criticism. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I'm starting to handle criticism like in a whole other way. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming, you know, I like it when it's constructed. Yeah. Basically. So, yeah, um, I enjoy that. But yeah, let's wrap it up and I'll talk to you very soon. Okay. And hopefully, bye we'll now. Okay. As well and thank soon. you for listening.